Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast, brought to you by Simply Physio, aimed at helping you live an enjoyable, fit, and healthy life in and around our community of Knoxville, Tennessee. And now, here is your host, Dr. John Mark Chesney. Welcome, guys, to Stay Healthy Knoxville. I'm uh, really excited about our podcast episode today. I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Luke Howell. So Dr. Howell, he um, completed his family medicine residency at Virginia Tech uh, Carillion. I had to ask him how to pronounce that in Roanoke, um, Virginia. He received his bachelor's uh, from Bryan College just down the road. During his uh, residency, he was a member of the Leadership in Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine Tracks. Uh, He was elected as educational chief resident during his final year of training. Dr. Howe has uh, been passionate about uh, direct primary care during his residency and has recently joined the team at Pillar Primary Care here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I know um, Dr. Howe is married and I believe has two two children two young kids and um, and um, he's happy to be here in Knoxville and I look forward to um, talking about his uh, specialty, his training. Uh, so Dr. Howe, um, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get to be on here. My partner was a seasoned pro of the podcast as well. So that's Dr. Mark McCall yes. um, talking a little bit about direct primary care and so happy to be able to be on here and tell a little bit of my story. Yeah, yeah. We had um, Dr. McCall, I believe he was, he may have been my first guest. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was my first guest talking about direct primary care. It's been a while um, ago, so probably four years, um, four years ago. So happy to hear kind of more about and and even if, um, you know, to get into the topic of, we'll get there into direct primary care, but um, but we like to start with um, the, the episode of just understanding like what brought you into, into medicine? What was your interest? You know, kind of take us back so people can really get to know kind of your backstory, maybe that people wouldn't know, you know, being a patient of yours potentially. So, I mean, I I grew up actually doing construction um, with my family. So my dad's a general contractor. So not really of a medical, you know, family that just kind of like inherited and everybody kind of goes that path. And initially my, one of my sisters became an RN. And then that was kind of like the start of in college, I really want to do something like in medicine. I was initially thinking pharmacy. And so became a biology major um, at Bryan, loved my time there. Um, and it was anatomy and physiology, just a fantastic course. You know, you're learning, you know, oh my goodness, we're designed this way and how these processes kind of work really made me understand, like, I want to be able to help communicate this with patients as well. And during my time at college, I was a pharmacy technician at Walgreens because I down that track already and was a little bit hesitant about, you know, potentially going into medicine. Lots of different reasons of, oh man, do I have what it takes to make it as a doctor? And if I became a doctor, would I, you know, just put me in like a different tier and I wouldn't be able to relate to my patients. All kind of stuff that, you know, really falls away once you're in and in, in the practice of medicine too. But I had some great insight from my future wife at that time of, yeah, you, you should go to medical school. You, you should um, work towards becoming a doctor. And I, I listened to her and, and followed through on that. And thankfully, the, the first go around of when I was uh, applying for uh, medical schools, I got in uh, at Virginia Tech, uh, their osteopathic school uh, in Blacksburg. And prior to getting in there, had like a, a year of just kind of getting used to um, being married. So it took like a gap year 
worked some construction uh, during that time still as well. And then uh, starting off, I really was drawn to an osteopathic school as opposed to like an allopathic school of just their approach to holistic care, learning about not only the medicine side and the surgical side of everything, but also the hands-on you know, management of patients and the osteopathic manipulative therapy. And so that was a lot of like lab-based training. So we get like 200 hours of hands-on, hey, this is how you assess someone's shoulder. This is how you assess someone's low back. This is how you assess their hips and their sacrum. And really valued that and wanted that as kind of like one of my tools in my toolbox as I'm caring for patients. And so I just really valued that that uh, education there in, in Blacksburg. And during my first couple of years, that's, that's where I kind of initially got introduced to the concept of direct primary care. One of our grads from the medical school started a DPC practice in Blacksburg. So I was part of the... One of your grad, you said... The, 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 yeah, of the medical school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so he, he came back to Blacksburg gotcha. and wanted to start up a DPC practice. And so I was part of the family medicine interest group and we were setting up a panel of like recent grads and stuff and having them come back and tell us as, as med students like, hey, light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> um, what does this kind of look like? And so he, he talked to us a little bit about hey, this is, this is an option for you. And it was just kind of one of those hmm, check mark. I'm going to kind of remember this as I'm kind of like going through because I was interested in family medicine at that time. Then third and fourth year, it's more hands-on clinical experience. And so that's where we moved just down the road to Roanoke, Virginia, where I eventually did my residency. And during that time, I had just like some great rotations with some residents from the family medicine residency program that I eventually um, got set up with and loved getting to work with them on different rotations, eventually like did like an audition rotation uh, with them and really felt like, hey, this is this is kind of a home. These, these are definitely some mentors and professors that I would feel comfortable learning under, that I wouldn't feel like, oh man, I'm, uh, I said something stupid, uh, that what are they going to think about me? Um, really felt like a great learning environment um, and a place that I would be able to thrive in as I'm developing to become a doctor and utilizing all those skills. So it was during um, intern year, which is that first year of um, medical residency, where you know you're you're getting into everything, and they're like, "All right, we need a doctor." And you look around, and you're like, "Oh, oh, yeah, that's me now." Okay, yep, yeah, I'm going to answer <laughs> that. And getting used to like the hustle and bustle of the clinic and just how quick paced it is. And this is kind of just a, a more regular setup type of mm-hmm. yeah, uh, kind clinic. of what you would think of as your your standard your going standard. to a doctor's yeah. office. Okay, that's the way that a, a residency clinic, you know, it's our our training clinic, runs as well. It was in that pace that I recognized, man, I'm bringing a lot of this work home, and there's constantly more things kind of building up and piling up, and as I'm looking at my mentors and looking at people that are graduates, the path and kind of the pattern which they're having to practice doesn't really afford them the opportunity to really practice the way that they want to, to really like connect and and be able to communicate with patients, to educate them, feel like they're really being heard and answering their questions. And so I kind of recalled, hmm, right, I remember in medical school this concept of direct primary care. And I wonder how that grad um, is doing. And so I reached back out to him and his, his patient panel was full and he was looking to like hire someone else um, because it had just been so successful because it was, it was a need for the community. They really wanted a doc that they could get in to spend time with and be able to feel like they were heard, answer their questions and not really have a lot of like the red tape and all this stuff. And so direct primary care kind of fixed some of those things. And so that's where I was like, thinking through, mm-hmm, I can see myself probably doing this into after residency. 
but no one in our residency program had like really gone into that before. So it was end of first year, starting second year. I started reading blogs, um, podcasts, any article, books, everything that I could get my hands on. And that was, you know, right at the time of COVID too. So there was like a conference that I probably wouldn't have been able to uh, go to in person, but they switched it over to virtual. And so I was able to like attend that. And I got connected with like some of the authors of the books that I was reading and, I, and they were like messaging me in the chat and we were talking and it was just kind of surreal. I was like, this is really the person that, you know, I, I was just reading his book about his practice in Detroit and now he's answering some questions and stuff. And but networking and, and really, you know, encouragement on their end of, yeah, this is possible. This, this can be done. And absolutely, even right out of training, you don't have to, you know, practice for a long time. And then, you know, once you're burned out and tired and then switch over. And so it was, it was through a lot of that where I was like, all right, boom, DPC or bust. That's what I'm doing. Like got to do it because it feels right for my patients. And, and that's the way that I want to be able to practice medicine as well. And my wife was super excited about that too, because with medicine, there comes medical uh, bills and the cost of education and everything. But, you know, there's so many ways to make it uh, possible as well. And so it was through second year as well, you know, I'm in the leadership track because initially my goal was, yeah, let's do independent practice. I didn't know when I first joined the track that I wanted to do direct primary what care. Is, when you say leadership track, what does that actually mean? Mm, yeah. And so what our leadership track really was meant to to focus on is giving you the flexibility to be able to pursue like a leadership role in several different areas. Some people are really interested in practice management and in initially being able to like start their own practice. Then you have like a, um, a coach faculty member uh, that you meet up with and you work through, hey, let's read about leadership books. Let's go and have some discussions and meet with some of the upper echelon, you know, administrative folks to kind of get a little bit of peek behind, hey, this is how practice works and this is the business side behind it. And then other folks that are more interested in health policy. All right, well, let's talk about health policy and potentially get you set up with going in and meeting out on the hill um, at, at Washington and, you know, get some exposure to how do we advocate for our patients. So it's a, a track that's really flexible to help support residents depending on what leadership role and kind of their their passion that they want to be able to pursue. And so mine being more practice management, my mentor was uh, a faculty member who had a lot of experience in managing our, there's a specific rotation in practice management. And so he was the one that I kind of latched on to of, all right, so I know this is a, a little bit different. No one's done this before, but this is kind of what I'm hoping for and hoping to get with that. Yeah. And how do, we, how do I kind of prepare for this? What questions should I be asking? What should I be thinking about as I'm potentially considering starting my own direct primary care practice. Is that I'm interested in even some of those discussions, like when you're considering an alternative, maybe less known kind of model, if like that was supported or if that, that was more questions kind of going through that process of, you know, school and and advancing kind of towards, you know, your your degree and finishing, you know, the residency and all that. Definitely supported. Um, my program, program director, upper administration, very supportive as far as, oh yeah, w this is not something that we're familiar with, but who can we plug you in with that is going to help you be able to round out and be able to answer some of these questions? Because a lot of it, there, there's some basics, like you got to understand how a business runs. You got to understand overhead and how, you know, what things contribute to the cost. What do you kind of look for? How do you assess for the value of like a space that you're potentially going to lease out and where do you kind of look for what supplies that you're going to need for an office, all of the, the business side of stuff. 
but very, very supportive kind of there on the front end as well. And then, you know, I, I welcomed it. Lots of questions um, because it's, it's something that's not quite as familiar uh, to everyone. And when, when you're, you know, of, of your peers and then, you know, your faculty members, they're asking questions and trying to figure out direct primary care. It's one of those things where, you know, often you have some of the common ground of, don't you feel like you're, you're rushed in those visits where, you know, you have someone that comes in and they've got five questions and you know that you've got two people already waiting and, and the, talks, the clock is ticking. They can relate with that. And so when you kind of talk through, wouldn't it be great if we had a whole hour that we could kind of talk with our patient and feel like, you know, they really get it and have all of their questions answered. And if not, let's bring them back tomorrow because we've got some availability in our mm-hmm. schedule. They, they really jive with that. Yeah, so even with, uh, you know, as you were finishing up and, you know, considering different options, it sounded like you were pretty set on this is this is the direction I want to go, the style of practice of, as far as the direct primary care model. Since it was something that no one had done in our residency program to that point, I was working on trying to set up my, or, or like create a path to set up my own rotation for direct primary care. And so that what that looked like is coming up with all the goals and objectives and the feedback and the locations and where would I go with this. And so I ended up reaching out to the alumni that had set up his own practice um, just down the road from us as well and said, hey, can I come shadow you for like a week and show me a little bit, give me an inside peek of what does a day in the life really look like? And I did that with several different practices, reaching out to them and getting things set up for like a one month um, rotation really in direct primary care. And one of those practices that I reached out to was Dr. Mark McCall with Pillar Primary Care in Knoxville, Tennessee, because I figured by that point that, yeah, we're going to be heading back to East Tennessee so that we can be closer to family because uh, it takes a village to, to raise some children. And we got two small ones. And, right. Uh, Remember how old they are? Yeah, we got a three and a half year old and a nine month old. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, that's very full. Yes, in the throes of sleep adjustments and learning to eat solid food and um, just pulling up and getting close to walking. It's like nine months. No, that's a little too advanced. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was through that that process of reaching out to Dr. McCall that it started, it just struck up a relationship. And, you know, I was thinking through what does starting up my own practice kind of look like? And I, I didn't know at that time that he was full up and, and potentially looking to expand and as that relationship kind of continued to develop and then into my last year of residency, we began talking seriously of, hey, what does it look like of you going out and, and joining our practice straight out of residency? Everything has worked out and God's continued to bless it um, to this point. And I was, I was pretty excited because there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about and able to kind of bring to the practice. And so osteopathic manipulative therapy has been one of those things. And it's been um, a, a good hit so far for our patients of meeting a need that some folks haven't been familiar with, you know, what is OMT and provides a lot of uh, flexibility to really feel like, hey, I'm, I'm properly assessing and have the time to be able to assess and then be able to treat um, in, in a lot of our sessions with patients too. So I've, I've enjoyed that. I was um, talking with you previously just, you know, about physicians that have the background in um, more um, osteopathic, you know, background and how... I hadn't, you know, I've, I've known a number of um, DOs. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is, is your schooling, are you considered a doctor of osteopathic medicine? So, yes. DO? Yep. Yes, okay. I am. Um, but then you use the abbreviation CMT. Uh, OMT. OMT, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yep. CMT yeah. is a PT one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. OMT. 
Um, that's kind of, is that different than a, a DO? Yeah, so the DO is just uh, kind of the degree or something that you'd put at the end of the name to okay. signify what medical degree you have. Okay. And then the OMT, it, it's hard because there's so many different acronyms in yep. medicine, and, and OMT or OMM are interchangeable. So osteopathic manipulative therapy, or you can substitute and say medicine. It's kind of both, and they both are kind of the same thing, but that's kind of your overarching approach for, to like a hands-on um, assessment and treatment. Okay. Well, you know, even going back to when you were um, considering, like you knew you wanted to go into healthcare, you decided to switch from pharmacy to more of a physician track, and then, you know, delineated even between a more traditional, you use the word allopathic, allopathic allopathic versus Mm -hmm. um, the osteopathic approach. When when you're determining between the two of those, what kind of drew you to the osteopathic? Mm -hmm. And had you even, was that more just in theory or had you seen that actually like uh, practiced, Mm -hmm. if you will? Initially to me, it was a a lot of theory because I didn't have, you know, like a a DO or an MD that I followed with regularly growing up from like a healthcare standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it was reading, you know, what is the difference between an MD and a DO? And really a lot of the, the core substance is, is very similar. You know, you're being trained to be able to practice medicine and what that looks like. The DO philosophy a little bit different just as far as trying to be holistic to kind of think about everything is connected and we're three-part beings, mind, body, spirit. The way that we live our lives in, in different areas and the diseases that we have will affect those other areas that are interconnected. And then in addition to kind of the, the approach that you bring to medicine, you know, we, we can't compartmentalize, oh, we're only treating this or we're only treating that. Well, this is actually related to that. And it's not that allopathic schools don't recognize that model at, mar- at all. Um, it is something that they're adopting as well and kind of bringing that into the fold of, hey, this is just good medicine and kind of basic medicine. And so really a lot of the distinction here now is the hands-on manipulative medicine that we're, we're trained in in addition to all the medical knowledge to be able to prescribe and go into surgery and do everything. So equivalent degrees with a little bit extra and a little bit of a different focus. And being in practice now, as far as looking at, um, does, does that difference play out? I've seen a lot of MDs, you know, that have a very holistic approach and kind of thinking through the person as a whole. And, you know, my partner is a great example of that as well. He's very well-intentioned of, hey, we got to think through what is in this pillar of your health affecting other areas of your health as well. And so it's being practiced out just as a whole in medicine. Um, and so I think really the, the main difference just being the, the hands-on treatment. Right. And, you know, most of whether like DOs that I've known in practice, it at least appears to me just a kind of a general observation that the osteopathic manipulative kind of part of their training is I don't uh, I don't see that necessarily being utilized as much, and I don't know if that's kind of coming out of a, a full kind of program, and maybe you know definitely being in that world more than I am. If that's a, a fair uh, observation, yeah, yeah. Um, in that approach, that. and why do you think that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I do think that is a fair assessment. You really get into a lot of differences just depending on which school people are going to. Some schools are very well known for, hey, they've got some strong faculty and really emphasize this and the people that come out of there are very primary care focused and going into fields that they have the time and availability to be able to do that. In all DO schools, they, they'll have people that go into primary care, into surgical specialties, all of the different residencies and, and specialties. 
And so when folks are going into different types of specialties, they really know from the start, I'm going to be a surgeon. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be really utilizing this as often. And so it kind of falls down the wayside. Sure. Or you kind of can get caught up if you are in a primary care setting of, if you, you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. And so they don't keep up with it. And then, you know, well, my, my skills probably aren't as good and, you know, I don't have the time. So there's a lot of like external pressures that kind of can creep into the um, reasoning for why you don't really want to use it. Yeah, that's nice to, I know we're going to dive in a little bit deeper here when we get into the, the second half of the, the podcast, but last kind of the, kind of few questions on this topic of kind of bringing everybody up to speed. So so you just uh, joined uh, Pillar Primary Care, which is a direct primary care practice here in Knoxville. Uh, have a young family. You guys are in what, Philadelphia? Philadelphia, just down 75. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think you told me that you guys are making like a homestead, if you will, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we... Um, We've had the vision in, in college. I think it's a lot of people share the same kind of view of talking with your best friends and man, wouldn't it be great if we just kind of bought property together and lived close and grew old together and our kids grew up together. Like that's a dream that I think a lot of people can kind of relate to. And so we had those conversations with, you know, friends and then family members as well. And so over the last two years, really, we kind of had the discussion of, okay, well, can, can we make this happen? Can, can that be a real thing? And so our sister-in-law and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and then one of our other best friends started looking into properties and we you know looked for six or eight months for an actual property and talked with lawyers prayed about it asked people that had done things like this asked people that had had experiences like this that failed how could we kind of you know make this best set up for success and our, our goal and our emphasis really for it is to live a little bit slower and more intention lifestyle with an emphasis on homesteading. So we've got, you know, meat chickens, egg chickens. We have rabbits. Our goal is to get some goats, eventually convert some of our land to pasture land, horses, maybe a cow down the road. We're spitballing a lot of different ideas as well. <laughs> uh, but it's been a lot of fun because when we're in this kind of as a community and forming this community, we have a shared faith. We have kids that are varying ages, but also some close, close to each other as well. Our goal is to homeschool and so educating our own kids and having them have chores here on the farm, learn a hard work ethic and kind of not be in a, a little bit of the hustle and bustle of what's crept into like more of a suburban lifestyle. And we're starting to live that out. We don't have to be the expert on everything because there's a couple different families, which is great. My sister-in-law, she is uh, more gifted in gardening uh, than my wife or myself. Anything we touch kind of dies, but I have a little bit of construction background. So some of the things that we need to build, we built a chicken tractor, which is basically what you can use to be able to move around a lot of your meat chickens because you have to rotate them frequently as they churn up the grass and things like that. And full disclosure, my wife did most of that building. I helped out just a little bit. <laughs> I but the construction group, the, the skills and stuff are there. And I, I like to think maybe I helped pass some of that along to her, but <laughs> she's going to listen to this and say, oh, no, I did that all myself. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's really neat. Even just talking about that, the the hurry and the hustle and the bustle. Actually, just uh, if you've read a book, um, the ruthless elimination of hurry. So, if not, I'm sure it would fit into a lot of that. It'd be a worthy uh, read as a pastor out of Portland. Um, wrote he's wrote, written a, a number of other books, but. It's a good read. Just um, yeah, finished it this week. It's been on my um, my list for a while, and finally got to it. So 
But um, but yeah, that's cool to hear. Just um, yeah, some of some other pieces of you know what you value and as far as you know the medical practice, but how even I'm sure your you know family and and your desires for your family just you know it's it's all about who you are, right? That mindset. So, so thank you for sharing. Well, we're going to take um, a break and then um, hear a word from our sponsor and then come back and talk more specifically, kind of answer some questions about um, direct uh, primary care and um, more specific questions about osteopathic manipulative treatment as well. Stay Healthy Knoxville is sponsored by Simply Physio, a physio clinic that equips and empowers you to live your life to the fullest so that you can enjoy the things you love to do and be the person you are made to be. Simply Physio specializes in helping people get back to a healthy and active lifestyle, living free from pain and medication and avoiding unnecessary surgery. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to receive a special gift from Simply Physio and enjoy listening to the rest of the episode. Well, welcome back to our episode here. I'm talking with um, Dr. Luke Howe. Uh, uh, we've um, talked on a, a various topics that we want to go. We want to get into a little bit more depth here. So, uh, one is just as we're talking about the osteopathic manipulative um, treatment part of medicine, and just some regular questions that people may be wondering, maybe not as familiar with with that, but. One question I have is how is how is that different than say like a chiropractor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Very common question as well from a lot of my patients too. So there's really a lot of overlap, um, and there's there's a lot of similarities of just kind of the approach to assessment and adjustment of patients. So chiropractors are very holistic of all right. Let's kind of think of you know your your body as far as like the muscle, uh, the joints, the ligaments, everything from a structure and then the function, how that kind of works. And let's think through that. And when things aren't in proper alignment, how do we kind of adjust some of those things down to the structural uh, uh, side of things? Osteopaths are trained in the same way. Hey, let's think holistically as far as this is affecting this. And so when we're pulling and moving on this, it's going to affect this other area as well. There's a lot of overlap there with um, the approach to understanding and assessment. I would say that treatment approach is probably where there's a little bit different, where, where we kind of walk it out. With osteopathic approach, the, the goal is really a lot of more sometimes shorter sessions um, and then stepping back and allowing the body kind of heal itself as well. Usually you want to bring in a lot of different types of techniques to be able to adjust and treat everybody instead and make sure that you're not using the same technique over and over um, or just hoping that it kind of treats because one treatment for you know, a 70-year-old osteopathic porosis than bone person that, you know, could fracture. You don't want to do the same treatment to someone that's, you know, 23 bodybuilder, you know, you're, you're going to use that discretion to kind of treat some different ways. And chiropractors have, have some of those skills as well. And so I think there's just a, a depth and a different kind of approach to length of treatment than some of the techniques that you kind of choose would be one of the bigger differences there. You kind of mentioned on different, you know, different types of patients. Are there certain conditions that either that you personally, you know, enjoy working with or that is a good type of patient, you know, for you or or an osteopath? So there's a lot of different things I really enjoy treating. Um, So, I mean, common ones, you you just see it all the time with headaches. You'll have patients that come in and the way that we're living our lives, the jobs that we work, desk jobs, we carry all that stress on our shoulders, our trapezius muscle there and attaches to the back of our neck, pulls on our head, gives people headaches. So there's some simple treatments um, to be able to do to be able to help out with that. 
acute muscle injuries, and that really could be any extremity or, or torso, spine um, area. A lot of those, when it's just a recent injury, it, it works really well to be able to adjust someone to get their body kind of back to the way that it structurally it normally should be so they can function again. And their body's going to heal a little bit faster. And so like an acute injury to a shoulder, an ankle, something like that um, can respond really well. There's also a lot of treatments that you can do for recent you know, constipation type issues, some GI motility uh, treatments that get into some of the innervations, different ganglia, which are like collections of nerves and stuff in the gut to be able to help promote motility uh, and movement of stool. I'm sorry, I don't know if that's an, a topic that we shouldn't dive into as well, <laughs> but um, we can treat that a lot. And then breathing uh, issues. So when your ribs aren't expanding and moving quite as well, people that have colds, people that have a flare of their COPD or their asthma, there's some treatment that you can do that directly involves their sympathetic nervous system and the way that that affects those nerves can affect the way they be able to breathe and you can kind of help tone down some of the exacerbation or the worsening of those symptoms or sometimes just kind of the congestion and the head cold and the pressure from um, an upper respiratory virus there's some um, massage techniques that you can do for their lymphatic system to be able to help with a lot of the pressure that builds up in their maxillary sinuses or their frontal sinus in their forehead and help encourage a lot of that drainage so there's not quite as much pressure build up. I've had some family members and some other folks that found a lot of relief with several of those different complaints. It's not all just manipulative, like thrusting techniques, correct? Yeah. Sometimes there are folks that are going to respond a lot better to, yeah, we can give this a quick pop and get it right back to where it needs to be. That's not going to cause any other damage. And then there's other folks that you should really step back and kind of say, we could probably do a quick pop and maybe they've had a bad experience or it's on their neck and they really don't want to do that. Or they have like one of those conditions that's kind of more of a borderline, you maybe should think about something different. Um, and so utilizing another tool in your tool bag to be able to you know, use their muscles to be able to help shift the, the joint and, and the surrounding muscles and pull on the things that are contracted a little bit too tight to get them to be able to relax. That might be a better approach. Or more of a soft tissue myofascial release where there's a little bit of component of massage therapy in that to help break up kind of the fascia, which is that cling wrap that kind of goes around the muscles as well. That can be more effective and kind of a gentler approach to someone that maybe is a little bit more elderly or had a recent injury or something. Sure. Are there different types of um, osteopathic manipulative treatment providers specialized or even more so or um, in that regards? There are actually some different types of increased amount of training that you can do. So there's on top of residency, you can go in after you've completed your residency and do fellowship, which is additional training and like a subspecialty. Uh, and there are some for osteopathic manipulative medicine. And so you're working usually associated with like some college sports team and sports injuries or sports medicine kind of focus. And so you're getting higher volume of like acute injuries. And w there is also some other additional training that you can do for something called craniosacral osteopathic manipulative therapy. And we learn about this in, in medical school at DO schools. It's just one of those, if you, you don't use it, you lose it types of things. And so it's a uh, type of treatment that just takes a really long time um, to be able to do to make sure that you're kind of feeling the way in which some of the cranial bones move in relation to also the sacrum. 
and to be able to help adjust some of those things. And so there's additional courses and um, continuing medical education. Take, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can get some sort of certificates to show that hey, I've been trained in this and can continue to do this on a regular basis. And I'm sure that there's criteria that you have to meet in order for like insurance to reimburse with that. But I don't have to deal with that anymore. So I kind of right. let that go. <laughs> Well, on that topic too, you know, with um, with listeners that that aren't as familiar with direct primary care, because because now you're kind of you're you are blending this model of just uh, family practice of direct primary care as well with your um, osteopathic training too. So we've talked about the osteopathic part. And what if we talk a little bit more of direct primary care for somebody who's not familiar with that phrase? What does that mean? Um, and tell us a little bit more specifically about that. Yeah, yeah. So my elevator pitch um, for someone that's never heard of direct primary care is basically that it is a model of care that's more subscription-based to be able to take out a lot of the red tape. Subscription versus? Versus insurance-based. Okay. Yeah, so we don't deal with insurance. It's only cash-based in the same way that you got a monthly phone bill. You got a monthly bill, and that basically gives you access to your doctor because a common issue that folks have is I can't get in to see my doctor or I see someone different and I don't have enough time with my doctor. And so by taking out a lot of the red tape that it comes inherent with insurance companies of, hey, you need to document all of these things and do these additional stuff, by taking that out of the equation, we can make it back to a direct relationship between the patient and the doctor and by taking care of less folks, we can have a little bit more time with them as well. And so initially, you know, what I would recommend to folks is our first is it's going to be an hour long. And when you think through what they're planning for an hour that I can talk with my doctor and, and if we don't get through everything, I've got some availability the next day or later that afternoon, if you can come back as well, which is kind of shocking to folks to kind of think through, I can get in the same day, I can spend an hour or 30 minutes with my doctor and then come back and make sure that I have all of my questions really addressed instead of feeling like I get in there after an hour and a half of waiting and waiting not only in the waiting room but also waiting in the doctor's uh, exam room and then they come in and I barely get into talking about my problem and then the doctor has five questions tells me what the treatment is or sends me off to a specialist which is another visit that I'm going to repeat this process so not really feeling heard is a, is a common theme um, that I've had for a lot of the patients that have then setting up care with me, and I think the direct primary care helps answer that uh, um, solution. Yeah, how do you see with um, so? I mean, one big advantage that I'm hearing from you is uh, one that you just um, you don't have as as many clients, and so you can give them more time, right? And focus more on them. What? How do you see that actually helping the patient? Like, what advantage is that to them of having more of your time, and maybe different than maybe a traditional practice? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things kind of harkening back to what I was talking about in the first year of residency training, I my eyes were opened uh, just as far as the hustle and bustle and how quickly you have to go through. From a doctor's standpoint, you you know and are equipped to be able to educate and kind of explain on a way in a way that patients can be able to understand. You know, the key factor is do I have the time to be able to really dive into this? Sure. Or do I just kind of give them the answer or tell them, "Hey, you need to go see this other person or Set up three other visits. Yeah, or just write a prescription. (laughs) And so the value of spending more time with a doctor is you can fully explain kind of your situation and not feel like you're you're being rushed through that. But your doctor also has the time and the space to be able to 
walk through, hey, this is kind of the why of why I'm recommending this treatment or why we should kind of adjust the way that we're approaching sleep or why we why do we recommend exercise to folks? You know, a lot of those really um, things that maybe get glossed over in an effort to kind of save time, we have the time and space to be able to dive into that a little bit more and make sure that we do some feedback. Does this kind of make sense? Because when people better understand the why and as well as what's going on, they're going to be more empowered to be able to make some of those changes in their lifestyle. And and that's going to affect the way that they develop diseases or the severity of the diseases that they have. Your practice and the name is Pillar. You guys have four pillars. Yeah, we do. Um, So um, exercise, sleep, stress reduction and the fourth one um you almost got it you almost got it <laughs> what is yeah. that nutrition nutrition that's yeah. right yep yeah um yeah well i mean what i hear from you know others too that appreciate the you know the care is like with you know those those pillars of health like when when those are all in a good relationship that the need for other things may fall through the wayside, such as like prescription medication, because you're enhancing the body's ability to heal like it's capable of if it's given that opportunity with those pillars in place. Yeah, Yeah, and and I mean, it kind of harkens back to as well, not thinking about things in just like a compartment. The things that we're taking in and the things that we're eating absolutely is going to affect our physical body. And a lot of people know this as well, you know, on on the basic level too. But when you get back to, all right, well, we've been treating this acid reflux for a long time and we have thrown some pills at it and it didn't really get any better. Well, maybe as we kind of adjust some of this, this pillar, the physical manifestation of that is potentially going to change too. Or in addition to that, well, I'm not really sleeping very well and it kind of worsens. And what are the sleep habits that are also kind of contributing to that? That's where we start getting into painting the whole picture and to best be able to understand that whole picture of a patient, you really have to spend some time with them and develop that relationship. And that's what I love about it is I feel like the, the patients that are growing my panel right now and then joining the practice, I feel like I'm getting more time to really develop that relationship faster. And it's hard to develop a relationship in an eight minute visit, yeah. even, even if you're bringing people back you know, every three months remembering what you talked about and a lot of the details that really are who the patient is um, sometimes get lost. Our clinic is set up similarly. We're not um, exactly the same. We don't have the direct primary um, PT, but it's it's similar where how we work with insurance. Primarily, we're out of network with most insurances so that we can deliver kind of what you guys are, but in a more PT sort of way, addressing those issues. And one question that, you know, we'll get asked, and I'm sure it's kind of similar to you, and I'd love to hear how you would, you know, explain it is when somebody kind of hears like, oh, so you don't t- take insurance, you don't accept my insurance. You know, it's, we're, we're just kind of a nature of healthcare that like is um, almost just this overriding of like, oh, so that means I can't work with you, you know, because I'm already paying for this insurance plan, like I should use it. Or just the thoughts of, oh, that means it's going to be expensive type of piece. So if somebody has, you know, maybe some questions about that, some level of like concern, what's the discussion kind of around that, how direct primary care potentially is still the right option for that individual? There's a lot of ways really potentially to be able to answer this. And my partner, Dr. McGall, I think has a pretty good analogy. You know, it's you're coming to Chick-fil-A and you're asking to order a burger and we don't actually sell burgers. That, that 
currency uh, doesn't really work with our practice. And what that's really good for is the ca- catastrophic things that potentially happen. But health insurance doesn't do the best job. You know, if it covers you for the big accidents for your car, it doesn't do a good job of paying for your gas every day because then it's potentially going to take you to a place that this is the only place that you can buy gas. And then all of a sudden your you know, money that you're paying to the gas uh, station isn't getting really good service there. And things are just slowly kind of slipping and, and not doing quite as good of a job. And unfortunately, you're tied to that gas company. And so what I encourage folks is it's a lot nicer, actually, when you have the cost right up front as far as, hey, this is what that's going to cost you. And it's pretty affordable. Direct primary care, the goal is not only to provide value, but also to be transparent instead of the surprise bill that you get three months later from your health insurance, knowing up front, yes, this is needed or this is needed. And there's also this other option. How can we kind of save you um, some time and money with that? And so the way that we try to do that is we have some contracts already set up with LabCorp, with different lab companies that can get us a discounted rate and we don't have to mark up those at all. We just pass that price right along to our patients. And so the the markup to be able to help pay for insurance or the billing and coding department or a lot of the other middlemen and stuff is why cost of things slowly rises. And so we don't have to do that with our lab. Or not so slowly rises. Yeah, or not so slowly, very drastically rises. Um, if we don't have to mark those things up, then we can provide more value to our patients. And so there's actually some good data, and I don't have it all right on hand right now, of how much money patients can save with direct primary care because with a lot of the high deductible plans, you have so much that you have to pay out of pocket before insurance really kicks in. And so we can start addressing some of those at a lower cost that you're never even going to get to that point and spend less money. Perfect. Well, yeah. So, you know, if listeners interested in um, one is, say, becoming a patient of, of you, of your practice, um, anything else that they should know about the practice? In essence, we want to make sure that we're providing value. And so part of membership in, in um, discounted medications and discounted labs or some of those being included just in kind of like the cost. We also want to make sure that we're appropriately addressing some of those other pillars. And so we on our staff have a dietitian that you don't get charged every single time that you go and see her. So that's an, a way that we can make sure, hey, are we really diving into what does a low carb diet look like and what foods can we start substituting that's going to be able to help support from a nutrition standpoint. And that's just included in the membership. Included in the membership, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the pillar for exercise, we have a health coach who's a certified personal trainer, has her own success story of losing weight through low carb and we get people set up with her just as far as, hey, this is kind of the basics of different types of exercises that we need to work on implementing from a moderate high intensity or very high intensity. and. Let's take into consideration, you know, what injuries you potentially have in the past or what you're currently dealing with and how can we modify some of this because the answer is not always, yep, go to the gym, get a gym membership, lift some weights and walk on a treadmill. That doesn't work for everybody. And so how can we kind of personalize that a little bit? She's very gifted in, at that as well. And then I believe you guys have like, a, I forgot what you call it, just an initial consultation, get to know you type of session too. If somebody wanted to, to discuss in more detail, maybe their, their own you know, situation, correct? Yeah, yeah. So we, have, we try to differentiate this just a little bit. We have a meet and greet, which is just like a, 
non-formal sit down. Hey, let's talk about who I am, what the practice is, answer some of the questions that we've kind of been talking about of what is DPC, Okay, be able to answer that for folks. And that's a little bit different than we also offer medical consults. And so that's for folks that have like a specific medical question. Yeah, I've got this autoimmune disorder and this is what I'm currently on. How would you manage that? So that's more of a private hour long visit. And we charge folks um, 125 bucks for that one, which is the cost of like a registration. And so if you end up joining the practice, that just gets credited to your account. All right. Well, um, to wrap up um, the show is like asking um, our guests just the same questions about kind of the area and getting encouraging people to go out and explore and try some new things. I know you're new to the area too, so you may have some interesting uh, responses, but that is fine. But the first question is, tell us something maybe on your bucket list that you've been wanting to do around the general area. So one of the things, and this is totally just from like a TripAdvisor recommendation because new to the Knoxville area, the Tennessee Theater, I'm always trying to make sure that I'm a well-rounded person as well. And so I'd be really interested potentially to go in there and kind of like seeing it play at some point. Yeah. Um, and so I know that they have like Nutcracker coming up in like December or something like that. So maybe potentially trying to get down there. And then I've never been to a UT football game, but I am on the schedule to see the Kentucky game okay, uh, with nice. some friends as well. So that'll be a good experience. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Yeah, both fun things to do, definitely. What about your favorite place to enjoy just outside? So the easy answer would be you know, the property that, that we bought. You know, I love being out there and um, being able to explore some, but in the Philadelphia area, um, there's Tennessee, a, Philadelphia, Tennessee, Philadelphia, Tennessee. Yeah, good <laughs> clarification. Um, in the Philadelphia, Tennessee uh, location, there's a Philadelphia Community Park um, that's right near um, us as well. Philadelphia's not very large, so everything's pretty close. But they've got several different fields. They have a new grant that they're working on building some kid-friendly equipment uh, as well that's going to hopefully attract some more kids and stuff to the area as well and so we're excited to be able to frequent that nice well, what about a recommendation for a restaurant around knoxville again limited number of exposures here but we've had a, a number of different catering opportunities from brown bag um, uh, on hardin valley road and it's been delicious grilled chicken and, and green beans with some bacon on it and good salad and delicious catering experiences. Healthy food and typically too. Mm -hmm. Mm. What about your best tip or recommendation for staying healthy? Mm. So a common one that I'm recommending to folks is taking a break from screens, you know, from your phone, make it something, just a a regular habit um, in the evenings. um, Because a, a common thing for folks is falling asleep to a TV or scrolling through something on your phone and really just taking, taking the time 30 minutes, an hour, and use that to connect with family members or to reach out to someone, you know, there in the area or physically in person because the the power of feeling like you're connected um, with folks and not just digitally is really important, especially with everything from the pandemic and feeling disconnected for folks. So that'll help improve sleep emotionally, feeling like you're connected with family or, or some people that you value as well. And yeah, no, I love it. That's a great tip. Well, um, how can people get in contact with you? So um, if they're interested in reaching out to me, they could call the clinic um, and they're actually routing a lot of these calls directly to me so I can answer questions for folks about direct primary care or if they're interested in joining their practice, walk them through that. But our phone number is 244-1800. And then we've worked on a little bit of website redesign for our homepage too. So our website is pillarpc.com. 
and that's P-I-L-L-A-R. PC.com. PC.com, yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Hal, for coming on the show. It's um, It's been um, yeah, a lot of fun just hearing about the practice and all that too. So uh, thanks, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes. And uh, stay healthy, Knoxville. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast brought to you by Simply Physio. If your pain is preventing you from staying healthy and active and you'd like to avoid surgery, pain medicine, or just want to get back to doing the things you love in and around Knoxville, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the next best steps for resolving it. Find our ebooks online at simplypt.com/health-tips. There you will find ebooks for topics such as neck and shoulder pain, lower back and hip pain, knee pain, and TMJ. These quick-to-read reports will provide you with expert tips, tricks, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit simplypt.com slash health-tips to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no-obligation phone consultations with a doctor of physical therapy to Knoxville area residents. Just call us at 865-351-0615 or visit us at simplypt.com and click the Talk to a PT button on the home page to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast.